Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So, if you've been following along with our prayer campaign for the month of Elul, uh, you'll note that the theme this week was repentance. And, uh, and you know, some people have been uh, asking me, you know, as, uh, as believers in Messiah Yeshua, <coughs> Why, are, why is our season like this? After all, we are, you know, we're the, we're the saved of God. We are uh, redeemed already in Messiah. Shouldn't our holy days uh, reflect something else? And so I wanted to address the, the issue of what repentance does mean and what it should mean for us in particular as a Messianic Jewish community and what our responsibility is. Sometimes we wonder, since we've received all of this forgiveness from Yeshua, why bother? Why not just rejoice in the gift that God has given to us? So I want to start off by uh, by a quotation from the scripture, which is coming up very shortly. It's not in this week's parsha, but I thought it was particularly appropriate for what I wanted to discuss. It comes from uh, Moses' address in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, a little bit later on from where we are right now in the text in Deuteronomy chapter 29. So let me uh, put that up for you. It's something I want to point out to you in the, in the actual Hebrew text. So it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Um, However, the, the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Our children, to us and to our children. It says, it continues, that we may observe all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may observe all these words of this law. Now you'll note if you're looking carefully at the text, and I wish I should have blown it up a little bit longer, that when we get to the word lanu leulvanenu, lanu ulvanenu there, there are these dots on the top. You see how those dots are all over the top of those words? Can you see them? That is nowhere else in the Hebrew scriptures where words are highlighted in this unique This was put in there by the Masoretes when the Masoretic text of the Hebrew Scriptures was written. And of course, our sages have had to think about and comment upon the meaning of these dots over the top of those particular words forever and continue to, and I'm gonna talk about it myself today. 
So for instance, Rashi says, there are dots over the words for us and for our children in the Masoretic text to indicate that we are to expound that even for the revealed sins, he did not punish the many until they crossed the Jordan. Once they accepted upon themselves the oath at Mount, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, they became guarantors, guarantors of one another. In other words, a, a saying which has existed in Judaism for as long as I can remember, certainly, is that all Jews are responsible one for another. As believers in our, in, in the, our Messiah Yeshua, and as Jewish believers in Messiah Yeshua and those who come from the nations to join with us, we are responsible for each other. And that means that while we are not all crossed over the Jordan, not all embraced in the arms of the Messiah, while we are not all saved, we all have work to do. I have to stand in for my brothers and sisters who don't know the Lord. I'm an intercessor. This is my job. And you know what? This is something that I think our community has to repent of in this season. We don't see ourselves that way. Not by and large. We see ourselves as part of another world. Another world that doesn't, that is already there. But we are not there, and we will never get there until we are all there. You see that first picture I showed you, if I can go back to the beginning. That's a, an image of all of Israel, all of Israel, ascending to Mount Sinai to receive the word of God. It's our tradition that we were all there at Sinai, not just our ancestors, but all of us were there. We remember this particularly in Passover season. And so until we all gather around the mountain and we all praise Lord, the Lord Yeshua and say, Baruch HaBaba Shem we are not there. Things are not complete. They're not finished for us. And so we have a responsibility to one another all of our people. That's why during this month we repent. Not just for ourselves, but for all of Israel. And now I say for the whole body of Messiah so that we might come together as one people of God. This is what I'm hoping for. That there can be this signal moment of unity that just transcends any notion that we have of what that might look like. And there, I think, the power of God will be released in ways that we can't even imagine. That's what I hope for. You see, it tells us that there will be a day of return. And I believe in it because, you know, it's here in, our, in the Word of God. It's later in the same portion where Moses speaking to the children of Israel says, so, so it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind that all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I commanded you, 
you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore your captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the people where the Lord has scattered you. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. We have not yet experienced it, but one day it will occur. And don't you want to be there when it happens? I want to be there. And if I can't be there, then at least I want to have thrown my chips in with it so that one day I might rejoice, if not in this world, then in the one to come. You know, so it tells us that we are the remnant. According to scriptures, we are the remnant of Israel. And God has given us the privilege of returning first. We are the first to return to our Messiah Yeshua. And we blaze a trail. And blazing a trail is hard. Ask anyone who's ever done it. You have to get through all the thorns and thistles, all the, all the rocks and stumbling, the deprivation, the hardship to blaze a trail. But that's our lot. That's what we've drawn. And, this is, and how glorious it is to be the first to see the top of the mountain. That's the privilege that we have. But we have to blaze that trail for our people. And that's why our repentance must be the most sincere, the most heart heartfelt, the most introspective, the most heart-wrenching. Because we're not praying just for ourselves or rejoicing in the fact that we're already saved, but that, that, that there are millions of souls of our own brothers and sisters in this world that need to know our Messiah. So every sin we confess, every prayer we say is not only for ourselves, but for others. Otherwise, we could just dance and sing. There'll be a time for dancing and singing. But we are to take no rest. In the prophet Isaiah, it says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night, and they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves, and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That's our job. That's our work. That we stand as watchmen on the wall. I remember, some of you may remember Alice Bureau. And she was one of my favorite people in the world. I, for those of you who don't know, I keep a picture of her in my Bible right here always there. It's been there for many years. I keep a picture of that one person in my, in my Bible. She reminds me of this verse. Because every time I would see her, she would remind me of why she was here. She wasn't a Jewish woman. Um, but she was here and she would sit back there every single week. And she would remind me every week. I'm here because of this verse, I am a watchman on the wall. And God has given me this job to pray for you. And she did that until the day she, you know, she's doing it right now. 
I feel her presence all the time. It's a remarkable thing, a gift from the Lord. And that's our job for all of our people. See, it's so important. I can't, I can't express to you how important it is, but let me just quote this one verse here. up on you? Yeah. This is a very important quotation, one which opened my eyes to many things when I read it for the first time. In his book, uh, Paul Among Post-Liberals, don't get crazy about the title, this man wrote, this Douglas Harring wrote this, he said, the remnant chosen by God is a present guarantee that God has not abandoned Israel as a whole. I'm grateful for that. If God had abandoned Israel, I would not be saved. But he did not. But then he goes on to say this, this very, and I want you to take this into your soul, people. And that by means of this remnant, God secures the coming restoration of the whole. This is so important. This is our mission. See, so often we get involved in religious life because we need something personal. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need some kind of personal thing. You know, we need, I need to feel good about myself. I need to have uh, comfort from, for some reason or other. Uh, I'm worried about what's going to happen to me after I die. You know, all of these things are legitimate concerns. I'm not uh, belittling them in any way. But if that's what you think it's all about, you're wrong. Our salvation is for some greater thing, which God is doing not just for you or me or any of my personal problems, but for the sake of his whole creation. That's how important this is. It's the most important thing you will ever be involved in in your life. Ever. I don't care if you become the president of the United States, since anybody can do it. God bless. You understand? This is so important because it involves all of creation. It begins with the Jewish people, yes. But it's for the sake of all things. So while there's, not, there's one Israelite who does not know his Messiah, our job is incomplete. And so we repent. We, we prepare ourselves all through this month to get our own hearts right so that when we come before the Lord on the holiest of days, we come as representatives of all of Israel. Gene and I were talking just the other day, and I said, think about, and we, we say this prayer often during the High Holy Days, think about the prayer of Daniel in chapter 9 of his, of his prophecy. Daniel was a man of which no sin is recorded of him in the Bible. Not even a little fault. The guy never did anything wrong. It was amazing. And yet he prays in the ninth chapter 
of his, it's such a powerful prayer. Let me just, I have to just take a look. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame as it is this day. This is the man who risked his life to obey God's commands when they, forced, they tried to force him to eat food that was not kosher. Who defied the king when he would not bow to idols. And yet to us, oh, it belongs open shame. He knew that he was part of his people and he shared in their destiny. And we share in the destiny of our people. That's why we do what we do with these holy days and why they will never become insignificant. Why we must get on our hands and knees, why we must fast, why we must beg for forgiveness not just for ourselves, but for the sake of all others. Yes, we know that in Messiah Yeshua, it is secured. But we have to go ahead of our people so that they know that at the end there is salvation. And we show them the way. Our prayers matter. There's a story I want to tell you. I hope you'll have the patience to... Uh, to bear with me in this. When I tell this story, maybe you've heard it before, I don't know. But before I do, I want to remind us of the words of the Apostle Paul, found in the, the letter to the Romans in the ninth chapter. He says there, I'm telling the truth in Messiah. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Messiah for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Are we willing to do that? Or do we want to just stand aside and say, well, at least I made it. I'm cool. It cannot be that way. This is not why we were saved. This is not why God separated the remnant in this age. He separated us to fulfill this, that we might be there for our people, to pray for them, to reach out to them, to guide them and to lead them to the Holy One of Israel, to go ahead and forge a path. And so when we pray during these, this season, and we'll be opening up our Maksarim, and in there, there'll be all kinds of prayers about the horrible, wretched state of mankind, and Israel in particular, and how we're beating our breast and fasting, moaning, and bemoaning our condition, and begging the Lord for forgiveness. Let's remember that those prayers matter. 
they matter. When added to the prayers of, the, of our people, and if, they can, if to that can be added the prayers of all the saints of God, all, all of God's children who have come to know Messiah Yeshua, that's what this whole month has been about. The power of that will produce salvation that we have not seen. So I'm going to tell you a story from the Jewish tradition. It's fun. It's a fun story, I think. It's called Unlocking the Gates of Heaven. So this is a story about the Baal Shem Tov, you know. And so the Baal Shem, you know, he was, uh, if you don't know who he was, he was uh, this very charismatic figure in the 17th century in Eastern Europe who led a revival among the Jewish people. And he was, uh, he, was, he was a pretty wild guy in a lot of ways. You'll see that in his story. But he knew, that he knew the power of prayer. So it says, on the eve of one Yom Kippur, the Baal Shem Tov perceived that a serious charge had been brought against the Jews in heaven. So grave was the accusation that even the Torah, the most precious possession of the Jews was in danger of being lost. Grief-stricken, and the Baal Shem went to the synagogue and preached harsh words of warning. But even these, he knew, would not be enough. Recognizing the extent of the Baal Shem's fear and desperation, everyone prayed with great intensity and beat their breasts and wept tears of remorse. But toward evening, perceiving that the threat had grown even worse, and that the greatest sages of the past had been brought to testify before the heavenly court. The Baal Shem urged all the prayer, uh, prayer leaders to hurry so they'd be able to uh, pray the Nilab prayer before it was, uh, it was still, while it was still daylight. Before Nilab, remember now, Nilab in Jewish tradition is when the gates close. And so you have to get everything in before Nilab, otherwise it's too late for this year, and then you have to wait. Of course, we don't believe that, that the grace of God is always there. But you see the urgency he's creating, that there is an urgency to it all. Just keep that in mind. Before Nilah began, the Baal Shem wept and looked so agonized that the entire congregation was terrified. Then while he was praying the silent blessings, he slumped forward and hung his head between his legs. And when the cantor began to chant the, the voiced 18 benedictions, the Baal Shem did not join him when he reached the words, open the gates of heaven. Instead, the Baal Shem began to make terrible gestures as if he were possessed. And everyone feared for his life. See, I told you it was a little wild. But no one dared approach him in that state, for they knew the great miracles of which he was capable. This continued for, for what felt like an eternity when suddenly the Baal stirred and stood up. He prayed, a great, great, he prayed in a great hurry and completed the prayers, and afterward all the people surrounded him, begging to know the outcome of the charges in heaven. The Baal said, Yesterday and today I found that I was unable to pray. So disconcerted was I that at the grave danger facing us, only during the silent benedictions did I find that I could pray again. And then I ascended from one of the palaces of heaven to another without, with little difficulty. Along with our prayers, they were lifting me up. Uh, 
And I was determined, uh, and I was determined to shepherd them through the final gate. But when I came to that gate, I saw that an angel had placed a lock on it so huge that it was larger than this entire city. Nor could I even find a place for the key, much less the key itself. But with the aid of all the prayers, I searched every inch of that vast lock, and at last the place for the key was found, but the key was still missing. And I knew that the time to open the lock was short, for once the sun had set, the judgment would be inscribed forever. At that moment, great grief possessed me, so great that I had not overcome it. Well, excuse me, that had I not overcome it, I would have plunged from that great height and my life would surely have been lost. And while I teetered on the brink between life and death, I looked up and saw that my teacher, Ahiha, the prophet, had joined me. And he said, come with me to the palace of the Messiah. For only the Messiah has the key to unlock this terrible lock. With a sudden surge of hope, I followed him to the palace of the Messiah. And when the Messiah saw me from afar, he called out to me and beckoned to me. And he embraced me. And in his embrace, I recovered all my hope and shed all my fears. And he said, I do not know whether you will be able to open the gate, but if you do, redemption will surely come to Israel. And he gave me a key that consisted of two holy letters of the alphabet. I thanked the Messiah with all my heart for myself and for every one of us. And I hurried back, used the key, and the gate flew open at my touch. And then the myriad prayers that had been held back so long rushed forward, carrying me with them. And we entered into the highest heaven. And at that moment, the moment of judgment, the accuser suddenly became silent. And I did not need to argue for the presence of the prayers spoke for itself and the decree was canceled. See, our prayers are matter. We know the Messiah just like he does. We know him. We can call to him and he will embrace us and he will help us to lead our people and their prayers to the seat of heaven. That's what this season is about. So let's embrace it with all of our hearts, people, with everything that we have, not only for our sake, but for the sake of our people and the world. So join with me uh, all through this month. We're meeting on Wednesday nights to pray together with our friends from Gateway and other churches. And Lord, we just, we just, we're just hoping for a breakthrough that will resemble something like this. So that Messiah will come and will unlock the gates of heaven for every one of us. Lord our God, we just pray that this will become a reality for us. That we will be able to see your salvation in this, week, this, this year. That all who, all of our people, will be able to look into the heavens and see the face of Yeshua and there find salvation, find hope and joy again. And Lord, renew us. Join us together with all of those who have 
embraced you, Lord God, that the power of our prayer, the power of our voice might, might bring change, redemption, oh Lord, to the world. And this we pray in the name of the Holy One who holds